Hi, Journey. How you all doing? Show of hands if you had a fantastic spring break. Yeah, most of you did. Great. Really good to see all of you. I hung out uh, as did April at home with the kids all week. And we had a great week, but I do think that after spending a whole week with me that the kids are ready to go back to school, right? Uh, April's meditating on the Psalms and my kids are ready to go back to school. I don't know about that. Maybe it's the difference between having four and having seven. Maybe that has something. uh, I don't know. Uh, Did you know we're observing Lent this year? If you didn't, we are. Right, You now know, and we're in this series that we call XT, or Cross Training. And Lent really is a season of spiritual preparation for Resurrection Weekend, which is otherwise known as Easter, which, by the way, is just three weekends from now. My, how time flies. And I've heard some sort of buzz around Journey, people asking the question, why are we observing Lent? Like, uh, I've even heard people ask it this way, isn't Lent like a Catholic thing? Or isn't Lent like a Lutheran thing? Or, this is the best one, isn't Lent like an old thing? Uh, Those are all good questions. And in all actuality, Lent is simply a Christian thing. Now these days, most of mainstream evangelical Christianity, of which we are firmly a part of, does not observe Lent. But I offer that we should. I think every Christ follower ought to observe Lent because Lent at its core is a time of prayer. It's a time of repentance. It's a time of recommitment leading up to the celebration of Christ's resurrection at Easter. And it starts on Ash Wednesday, if you didn't know, which we celebrated with the experience around here. Uh, That's the day after Mardi Gras and it culminates 40 days later. And it's just a season of spiritual preparation for the most important holy day on all of the Christian calendar. The idea of Lent is that we spend these 40 days taking stock, really, of our spiritual condition. We take stock of our spiritual condition and we repent of our sin. For 40 days, we take stock of our spiritual condition and we repent of our sin. It really, Lent is uh, at its essence a 40-day season, watch this, of grief, It's a 40-day season of grief. You all know this. Christians the world over, we celebrate sort of this giant hurrah, the resurrection of, yes, he's risen, he is risen indeed, we say, right? We celebrate Christ's rising. Unfortunately, what most followers of Jesus Christ don't do is spend much time at all grieving over our sins, which, by the way, are the cause of the brutal execution of Jesus Christ on the cross, that first Good Friday. And Lent hearkens us to do just that, starting on Ash Wednesday, especially this season of grief. We grieve over our sin. God, we take sin so seriously. We press in for these 40 days going like, God, make us holy, make us holy. And I don't know about you, but any time and every time I ever pause and consider my sin, of which there's mountains, of it causes me to even more greatly appreciate Christ and the incredible price that he paid to redeem me and us all of humanity which is what we do during the season of lent and so if you haven't been engaged in a season of grief repentance sorrow over your sin 
to this point, you've got three weeks. And I invite and challenge and exhort you to spend the last three weeks of Lent doing just that. Repenting and expressing sorrow to God over sin, seeking forgiveness and being made right with God. Recommitting yourself to the holiness that God calls us to. God says, be holy as I am holy. That's the goal. Be holy as I'm holy, God says. I want to give you just a couple of teasers for you to sort of of, uh, save the dates, uh, tuck these away, remember these, because this is stuff that's coming around the life of our church. Uh, The day that Christians remember the Last Supper is known as, you know what it's known as? Maundy Thursday, right? Maundy Thursday, it's called. Maundy comes from the Latin word uh, mandatum, which is the word for command, right? And so it was on that day during Holy Week, Jesus and his disciples ate the Last Supper, and they posed so eloquently so that the painting could be, uh, just kidding, that didn't really happen, uh, just so you know. And that Last Supper happened on the first night of the Passover festival, right? Uh, On Thursday night, it was the Seder meal in particular. That was the celebration of the Israelites being delivered by God from the Egyptian captivity. So during that Seder meal, Thursday night, Jesus explained that this bread was his body, the wine was his blood that is shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Communion on that night was instituted. The Eucharist was begun that night. So Jesus tells us in the New Testament to remember his death, doesn't he? And he says the way we remember it is by that last supper. It was at the Seder meal that he was eating when he instructed us to remember him through the bread and through the wine. And so we this year during the Lent season are going to do just that. We're going to have a Seder meal. We're going to have it right in this room Thursday night, Maundy Thursday of Holy Week. That's April 5th if you want to note that date. We're bringing in a woman who is a Messianic Jew. That means she's a Jew who follows Jesus. She's a Jew who believes that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. And she's going to lead this gathering for us. Now, it's a family gathering. We want kids and everybody's welcome right in here. We're going to turn it into a fellowship gathering as well. So uh, mark that date, April 5th, Thursday night on your calendar and stay tuned for more on that. Then the next day on the Christian calendar is known as what? Good Friday, that's exactly right. That's the day that Jesus died on the cross for us, which though was a brutal thing, is a very good thing indeed. And so we're gonna create uh, that day a self-guided stations of the cross experience right in this room. We'll open it up uh, in the early morning. We'll open it up again in the late afternoon and evening for you just by yourself to step through as a way of focusing on Christ's death for us and everything that that means. So Thursday, April 5th, Monday, Thursday, Seder meal right in here. Friday, April 6th, Good Friday. And you're all invited to those. And it's part of our Lenten journey, this season of us preparing ourselves spiritually for Resurrection Weekend. Christ rising from the dead, victorious, right, over death, hell, and the grave. It's a big deal. Nothing matters more. And I invite, I encourage, I extol you to be a part of those opportunities to fully experience this Lenten journey we're on together. Today, uh, we're in this XT series. It continues message number four today. By the way, your notes page says three, but that was last week. Uh, This is number four. 
And I want to work you through one of the least understood, frankly, one of the least practiced spiritual disciplines in all of Christianity, uh, this discipline known as fasting. And I think it's hilarious that we're talking about fasting after you have all gorged yourself last night on that disgusting meal of corned beef. Who likes corned beef and cabbage? Oh, I've offended a whole bunch of you. It is gross. Let's just be honest about it. I have all these people coming up afterwards saying like, hey, I want to have you over for corned beef and cabbage. It's like, yeah, I'll hold out for pizza. And to help us really fully understand the discipline of fasting, we have a montage of, of short testimonies entitled The Skinny on Fasting. I think fasting's awesome. I mean, where else can you combine spirituality and dieting all in the same way? I mean, it gets a bound rap, pound for pound it does. You know, people think it's for monks or supermodels and stuff like that. But I'm here to tell you it's for everybody. Last summer, I had a 20-year reunion slash barbecue slash swim party to go to, and I done but had to drop about 85 pounds. So thanks to fasting, what has two thumbs and look good in a swimsuit? This guy. Thank you, Jesus. Fasting? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's great to uh, skip a meal or two so you can hear God's voice better, you know? Stay plugged into Him. Yeah. You know, some people uh, fast from phones and music and gadgets. What? That's, that's not a sacrifice. That's, that's not even biblical. I mean, that, that's crazy talk, you know? I mean, God gave us this stuff so we could stay plugged into Him. Maximize our lives. It also keeps us busy enough to never be still or quiet. Are you even a Christian? I dare you to fast from your phone for one minute. Fine. Minute. You got it. No biggie. I don't care. I probably should take that. I fast. Okay, that's a total lie. I don't even fast at all. Okay, I want to. Another lie. Don't even think about it. Deal is, I'm hypoglycemic and diabetic, and that's not even close to the truth at all, okay? Hey, even the Bible says, he who hopes dies fasting, right? Right? Okay, Benjamin Franklin said that right before he died. Bottom line, fasting makes me hungry. Are we almost uh, done? Hello! I'm Brett Johansson, and I believe that fasting is one of the greatest spiritual disciplines one can achieve in their faith. When my family or friends invite me to go to lunch, I gently remind them and passive-aggressively admonish them by reminding them, did you not get my fasting notification email? Oh, that I had the luxury to eat lunch like you do. (laughs) Every year around Easter, I go through a 40-day fast to heighten my sensation of the Easter holiday. This year, however, I've decided to tack on 10 extra days. (laughs) So by the time we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, I will have been fasting for 50 whole days. If I survive. Those are very serious testimonies. If you've got a Bible, Matthew chapter 4. I invite you to turn there. Matthew chapter 4. 
sort of the cornerstone text from the life of Christ himself around this discipline of fasting. Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, He will order his angels to protect you. They will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away, and angels came and took care of Jesus. And so with purpose, with much intentionality, Jesus sets off into the wilderness, and he goes more than six weeks without food. He embarked on this thing that we call a fast. And he did it not because he had to, but because he wanted to. And Jesus fasts are just like any time we choose to fast. It's all about spiritual preparation. It's all about what God wants to do inside of us. It's all about us being ready, see? And that's what Jesus did. He got ready because he knew Satan was coming. He knew Satan was going to test him. And he wanted to be ready to stand tall, stand fast, stand firm in the face of the devil's temptations. And what we know about fasting is anytime we do it, it will cause us to be physically low on energy. Absolutely. That's an undeniable truth of fasting. It will cause us to be physically depleted. But spiritually speaking, fasting brings about a certain moxie in our relationship with God that isn't accessible to us any other way. Consider the words which God himself revealed to the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Paul's talking about what God spoke to him, and so uh, each time he said, that's Paul talking about what God said to him, each time God said, look at what God said, my grace is all you need. My grace is all you need. How often do we think we need a whole bunch of other stuff, right? We're like, I need that, and I need that. The words of God himself to us, my grace is all you need. And then God goes on, speaking to Paul, us as well. My power works best, where? In weakness. So then Paul says, so now, after hearing that affirmation from God, I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I actually, he says, he takes pleasure in his weaknesses, in the insults, the hardships, the persecutions, the troubles that I suffer for Christ. Watch this. For when I am weak, then 
I am strong. So when we are at a low ebb physically as a result of fasting, a season of fasting, a day of fasting, a meal of fasting, we might be physically weak, but it's at that place that we're spiritually invigorated, spiritually alive, at our peak, spiritually speaking. Fasting has been defined technically this way. It's eating sparingly, abstaining from food altogether, either from necessity or desire. Spiritual fasting entails setting aside, watch this, activities as well as reducing the intake of food and replacing these activities with the exercise of prayer and preoccupation with spiritual concerns. Fasting isn't just about food then. Maybe it's about setting aside eating. Maybe it's about setting aside sleeping. Maybe it's about setting aside TV watching. Maybe it's about setting aside Facebook. Whatever it is for you. And using that time that you would spend on those other things for spiritual matters instead. I'm pressing in with God instead. In prayer, in meditation, in scripture, in God. God, I want to hear from you. And so we look at the example of Jesus and we gather that fasting from food empties us physically. It empties us physically so that we may be filled spiritually. Fasting is not so much about denying ourselves food as it is about availing ourselves to God's power. See, the focus isn't on the denial. It's not about what we're putting down, setting aside, not engaging in. It's about availing ourselves to God's power. We sometimes confuse that in the fasting deal. We're like, yeah, I'm setting this aside. I'm putting this down. I'm putting this down. We sort of dwell there. But it's really about this availing ourselves to God's power, what he wants to do, what he's about, how he wants to work in our hearts and lives. Fasting is us making a physical sacrifice for the sake of a spiritual benefit, a spiritual payoff, a spiritual investment even. Let's step through what fasting is not. It is not physical discipline. Fasting is not physical discipline, meaning fasting is never, ever, ever dieting. First guy in the video, he had it all wrong, didn't he? It is not dieting. Now, some of us, we might need to consider different food intake patterns for the sake of physical health, but we don't. We shouldn't ever intermingle those with fasting for spiritual purposes. Read the Bible, and again and again and again, we see fasting is about spiritual health, what God wants to do, not physical health. Second thing fasting is not, it is never a coercion tool. Fasting is never a coercion tool. It is not a way to win God's approval. It is not a way to twist God's arm. It is not a way to manipulate God into doing things our way in our time. Our motives for fasting always and forever must be pure. They must be in line absolutely with God's will. Fasting for selfish reasons is useless. You may as well not even bother. Just forget it. The Israelites, they tried it, didn't they? In Isaiah chapter 58, they were busy, very busy trying to impress God with all of their fasting. Isaiah 58 verses 3 to 7, check it out. They're saying to Israelites, the nation of Israel, they're crying out to God, we have fasted before you, they say. This is them talking to God. Why aren't you impressed? They're actually saying that to God. Why, God, aren't you impressed with us? We're fasting. We've been, look, very hard on ourselves. All this stuff, we're denying ourselves. Pleasure and food and all this stuff. And God, you didn't even notice, they say. And then God answers them. I'll tell you why, exclamation point. 
It's because you're fasting, why? To please yourselves. God had their motive dialed, didn't he? You're fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. And that's something God had been talking to the nation of Israel about for a long, long, long time. It's like, treat your workers fairly, with equity. Don't be unduly harsh. But they just kept disobeying and disobeying and disobeying. So they're disobeying God over here, and then they're denying themselves over here and hoping that that'll just sort of work out. And God says, "Huh, uh forget it. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? That's something else God had been talking to them about again and again and again. Very simply, just love each other. Just get along. Stop fighting. Sure, you're fasting, but you're fighting. Well, come on, God says. This kind of fasting, look what God says, will never get you anywhere with me. It doesn't work. You humble yourselves. This is God sort of mocking the Israelites. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds, bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourself with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? No, God says. This is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed Go free. Remove the chains that bind people. You see God's heart for the downtrodden here, don't you? Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. And do not hide from relatives who need your help. That means, in modern terms, take their call. Take those relatives' call. We don't twist God's arm in any way through fasting, nor do we ever think about fasting as a status symbol of any kind. Jesus was incredibly direct about this. Matthew 6, 16 to 18. And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. Nobody wants to be one of those. For they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face. Like, look presentable, Jesus says. Don't make yourself look all disheveled and... No. Comb your hair, wash your face when you fast. Then no one will notice you are fasting except your Father who knows what you do in private. And your Father who sees everything will reward you. Nobody needs to know that you're fasting. It's about you and God. It's about emptying yourselves so that he can fill you. Why does anyone else even need to know? And you start playing that, make people notice me because I'm fasting game. Your eyes are already off God. And you just drain the fasting experience of any spiritual benefit at all. What's the purpose of fasting? Donald Whitney, I think, says it incredibly well. Watch this and get this imagery in your head. Fasting hoists the sails of the soul. Get that? It hoists the sails of the soul in the hopes of experiencing the gracious wind of God's spirit. 
I'm choosing to set my stuff aside. When you fast, you're choosing to set your stuff aside, all with the intent of encountering God, hoisting the sail of my soul. God, I think you have stuff for me. I think you have something you want to do in my heart. I think you have something you want to do in my life. Here, I avail myself. So much so I'm putting all that other stuff, that distracting stuff, I'm putting it down. Now get this. Fasting never guarantees spiritual blessing. Just because you fast doesn't mean that God's automatically going to bless you. However, fasting can and often does put us in a position to experience the blessing of God. J.I. Packer says it well. There's nothing magical, I love the sentence, there's nothing magical about fasting. We think there is sometimes, right? It's all magical, mystical. Packer says there's nothing magical about fasting. It's just one way, just one way. There's a whole bunch of things you can do. This is just one way of telling God that your priority at that moment is to be alone with him. God, it's you. I'm setting aside food. I'm setting aside phone. I'm setting aside Facebook. I'm setting aside Xbox. I'm setting aside final four brackets. Touched a nerve there. Elbows all over the room. I'm setting it aside, fill in the blank, whatever it is for you, and I'm choosing you, God, over all of that. And the Bible makes really clear some reasons for fasting, why we would engage in fasting. First one is sometimes we fast to strengthen, to embolden our prayers. All throughout the scripture, we see fasting coupled with prayer, especially when there's an urgency about the concerns that people are praying about. Read Ezra chapter 8 sometime. It's a terrific read. Ezra, he's about to lead a group of Israelite exiles back to Jerusalem. It was a trip fraught with peril, danger. They had all kinds of concerns about safety, the success of the trip, of their mission, etc. And so Ezra calls out the nation, the sort of remnant, And he says, come on, let's pray and fast, let's pray and fast, let's pray and fast. This is a huge undertaking. And so they fasted along with praying for the purpose of strengthening their prayers. Sometimes we fast to express grief and repentance, don't we? Sometimes we fast to express grief and repentance. Sometimes it can be a way, fasting can, a way to express to God the depth of something we're feeling. We're feeling something so deeply that we're just going to, fast around it. You read Ezra, uh, Esther chapter 3 and 4 in the Old Testament, for example. And you see that the Jews, they fasted, they wept, they wailed. Some of them even lay in burlap and ashes because they had just learned that the king, King Xerxes, had ordered their complete extermination. Wow. They didn't know what else to do. So they went to weeping and they went to fasting and they went to tearing their clothes and laying in burlap and ashes. They felt it that deeply. You probably would too if you just heard that the king ordered your extermination. For others, fasting is a way to demonstrate, watch this, just how serious you are about repenting of your sin. God, I mean absolute business. And maybe you've been way out in left field, way over there, God's way over there, and you've been all the way over there doing your thing because it's fun and it feels good and you like it and you don't want to put it down And then as the Bible says, you come to your senses. And you come home to God. And as part of that demonstration of your repentance, 
part of that demonstration to God that you absolutely mean business, you, you fast. The nation of Israel, they did that. First Samuel chapter 7, verse 6. Look what happened. The nation of Israel in this time was at the lowest ebb of their whole spiritual existence. They're wandering so far from God, they're not even on the map. And God, as God does, beckons them home, beckons them home, beckons them home. And finally they realize, we, we, gotta, we gotta go home, we gotta get out of left field, and we gotta, we gotta go home. And so look what they do. They gathered at Mizpah, and in a great ceremony, they drew water from a well and poured it out before the Lord. Here it is. They also went without food all day. They meant business. They were deadly serious about repenting of their sin. They went without food all day, and they confessed that they had sinned against the Lord. Sometimes we fast to express repentance. Sometimes we fast to seek God's guidance, don't we? This is my most frequent experience around fasting, where you're at some fork in the road moment, I have a leadership decision to make, some significant decision to make. Which way? Is it left? Is it right? Is it middle? Which one? Lord. And so I've fasted many times to receive God's guidance. We see this all throughout the Bible. Acts chapter 9, for example, the Lord appeared to Saul on the road to Damascus. Saul's name, by the way, was later changed to Paul. We know in that encounter with God on the road to Damascus that Saul was stricken blind. Did you ever notice, though, that he didn't eat or drink for three days as he awaited further direction from the Lord? He didn't eat or drink for three days. He's just like, I'm just keeping everything clear because I want my antenna that far up because I, I gotta know what this God wants from me next. Later on in his ministry, Acts 14, Paul, his ministry partner, Barnabas, they didn't even think about appointing early church leaders without first praying and fasting over the matter. It's that big a deal. And so we're gonna fast and we're gonna pray, God, reveal your leaders, turn up your leaders, show us who your leaders who do you have for us? And you read the scriptures and you see at least 10 major reasons for fasting throughout the Bible. I put them on your notes page for you. You can step through them on your own. And those, probably even a few more, biblically valid reasons for fasting. Now let's spend a little time getting down to the nitty gritty of fasting. Some instruction, very practical around fasting. How often should we fast? How often, for example? First of all, fasting is, watch this, expected of Christ followers. Fasting is expected of Christ followers. Matthew 6.16, Jesus says, big words, when you fast. When you fast. He doesn't say if. He says when you fast. The implication being, it's something that we do as followers of Christ. And we should fast as often as we feel it necessary to accomplish one or more of the ten purposes we see in the scriptures. You and the Lord can discern that. God speaks to you. So you just walk it through. Lord, is this a time? Is this a season? Is this an occasion? Is this a, a circumstance that you would have me fast in? How long should we fast? How long can we fast? We can do a portion of a day. You can fast for weeks. It's up to you and the Lord, frankly, and if you're thinking about one of those multi-week food fast deals, it's in part up to your physician, and I'm real serious about that. If you're ever contemplating a multi-week food fast of any kind, please have a conversation with your doctor before you embark 
on a food fast of anything longer than just a few days. That's the legal disclaimer, so you can't sue me. Really, it, it's, it's very, very serious. Very serious. How do you fast? What, 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 do you, what do you do? Here's some ideas. Simple guidelines. The lunch-to-lunch juice fast. These are on your notes page too. The lunch-to-lunch juice fast. Skip dinner, skip breakfast, drink water, fruit juice in between time, and use the time you would ordinarily spend eating. Use it for prayer. You just freed up those time slots in your day. Give them to God. Meditate on scripture. Ask God, what do you have for me? What are you doing in me? You could do the three meal fast, for example. Pick a day and just skip every meal that day. Again, drink fruit juice, drink water, and concentrate on praying all throughout the day. Definitely, again, in a time slot you would ordinarily be eating. You could do something called the weekly fast. I've had seasons of my walk with Christ when I've done this. You just pick a day of the week, make it the same day every week, just for the sake of order, and focus on prayer and communion with God on that particular day. You could think about a longer-term fast, and this is for like veterans of the fasting deal and people who have consulted again with their physician. And if you do the longer-term fast, like anything longer than four or five days, like if you're up to a week and so, be sure you have a prayer partner along with you for that ride. Be sure you have somebody along with you. That person will support you. That person will encourage you. That person will pray for you. And again, don't do one of those long fasts unless you know what you're doing. Then there's this one. You can do the replacement fast. That's the deal where you find some habit that is nearly as central to your life as food and forego it. Just set it aside. This Norwegian theologian, a guy named O. Halsby, he says it this way, fasting is not confined to abstinence from eating and drinking. Fasting really means voluntary abstinence for a time from various necessities of life, such as food, drink, sleep, rest, association with people, so on and so forth. But necessities aren't even the only thing you can fast from. What if you fasted from ESPN? What if you fasted from the newspaper? Ladies, what if you fasted, I'm stereotyping here, but bear with me. What if you fasted, ladies, from recreational shopping? Husbands would be pumped, right? Whatever it is. What if you fasted from that thing and devoted the time you normally spend on that activity to prayer and devotion to God instead? Seriously, put down your final four bracket. Duke's out anyway, so it's all lost. And you devote that time to prayer, to God. The purpose of such abstinence, says Halsby, is to, watch this, loosen to some degree the ties which bind us to the world or material surroundings as a whole in order that we may concentrate all our spiritual powers upon the unseen and eternal things. All our spiritual power on unseen and eternal things. I'm putting something down for the sake of God having my undivided attention. It's him and only him. Put it down. Put something down. It doesn't have to be food. And then, like with anything else, plan, track, and evaluate. First of all, clarify your goals. Why are you fasting? 
What's this particular fast all about? What do you want to accomplish? What's the prayer time focused on? Is it renewal? Is it wisdom around a decision? Is it a solution to some problem? Is it God's specific guidance? Is it increased discipline in your spiritual life? Maybe for you, one of your fasts is about breaking an addiction. Because what's true is any addiction that any of us has has a spiritual root to it, doesn't it? And so it isn't just about the activity. It isn't just about the addictive behavior. It's about the spiritual root that lies beneath the water line. And what if in a fast you get to the root level, root cause, spiritually speaking. And you ask God to dig that out, root it out, tear whatever he has to do. Tear it out. God, get to the spiritual root of this addiction, this habit, this hurt, this hang up, whatever it is. Remind yourself all along, all through that fasting season, remind yourself why you're doing this. Why, why, why? That'll help you persevere through trying times. And if you've ever fasted, there will be trying times. Like with anything else, start small, would you? Just start small. Please do not go out those doors and go, three weeks fast, starting today, all the way till Easter. Don't do that if you've never fasted anything ever before. It will not go well. True story. Start with a meal. Then go to a day. Build confidence. Add another day. Add another meal. Add another day off Facebook. Whatever it is. Start small. Take baby steps. Because what you're doing is you're proving that you can be successful. That fuels future successes. Always plan alternatives during your fast. What are you going to do with the time that you just freed up? plan an alternative without a plan you'll just be adrift and again that won't go well either have your prayer times and bible reading mapped out ahead of time you know what you're going to be doing i'm not eating because i'm going to do this and here's the three things i'm going to do in this time you can invite someone to join you especially if you're going an extended period of time from food or anything else for that matter Because that prayer partner functions as an accountability partner, don't they? They help reinforce your willpower. They help you make tough choices. Frankly, they give you someone to celebrate with when you've accomplished what you set out to accomplish with the Lord. And then keep keep a record of it. Keep a record of your fast. Record your thoughts and your insights and your prayers, the scriptures that stand up to you during your prayer times. Literally, some of my most profound insights from the Lord have come in a season of fasting. You don't want to forget those. So journal, in particular, during a fasting season. And then when you're all done with the fast, evaluate it. How'd I do? Take stock of the physical, mental, emotional, spiritual aspects of that fasting season. And then never forget at the end of a fast to thank God. Praise God. Celebrate God. Give gratitude to God. God, thank you for speaking to me about this. Thank you for showing me which way I'm supposed to go. God, thank you for breaking that addiction in me. God, thank you. I want to close with this. Jesus declared quite emphatically that there is a time, that there is a season. For, did you know that? For fasting. Jesus says very emphatically, there's a time and there's a season for fasting. Matthew chapter 9, if you want to turn there. Here's what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 and 15. And if Jesus says there's a time for fasting, we, sh- we should want to know when that is. Like, when 
Jesus. And so one day, the disciples of John the Baptist, this is a great story, came to Jesus and asked him, why don't your disciples fast like we do and the Pharisees do? So John the Baptist's disciples, you can sort of picture they're in conversation one day and they're talking about Jesus' disciples and maybe they're on a fast during that time and maybe they're having a hard day and they're looking on Jesus and his disciples and they're not fasting, they're eating and feasting and celebrating and they're like, what in the world is going on? Like, why us? Why not them? So they just broached the subject. They didn't sweep it under the rug. They just asked, why? Why don't you guys fast like us? And Jesus replied, as only Jesus can, right? With a question. Do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? And you're like, what? Right, like picture John the Baptist's disciples. are like, what? What? What's that? And then thankfully Jesus like, Okay, now I'm really going to answer. Of course not. He says, of course, wedding guests don't mourn while celebrating with the groom. No. You party, right? You feast. You feast. But someday, he says, the groom will be taken away from them. And then they will fast. So Jesus, who is the capital G groom... Right? He's saying, look, while I'm on earth, while I'm here, live and in the flesh, like with skin on and stuff, this is not the time for fasting. It isn't now, then, he says. But when I'm gone, he says, meaning after he ascended to heaven post-resurrection, then Jesus says my church is supposed to fast. That time is now, and we are his church. We're living in a season of waiting, aren't we? We're waiting for the capital G groom, Jesus Christ, to return, which means that if ever there was a time to fast, the time is now. And you just look around just a little bit. Look around just a little bit at our world. And you see that we're living in a time of spiritual battle for the hearts and souls of people that hasn't ever been more intense. People's eternal destinies are being decided every single day. Satan's attacks are as intense as they have ever been. And Jesus says, now, church, now you, us, it is the time to fast. So the invitation from Christ is to learn this discipline of Fasting, press in, reap the rewards of fasting so that we can say along with Jesus these words, John 4, 34, my nourishment comes not from food. Yeah, I need that to live, certainly, absolutely. But at the soul level, my nourishment comes from what? Doing the will of God. That's what it's really all about, isn't it? It comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. If ever, church, there was a time to fast, it's now. It's the time of waiting. Could I ask you to take your stuff and set it aside and just move to a time of prayer and listening and interaction? Just close your eyes and bow your heads if you would. Just encourage you to press in with the Lord.
with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm just going to speak into this time a bit. I know fasting can kind of be a scary animal around the Christian faith. But would you hear Jesus nudging you to just stick your toe in the water? Just try it. And so here's the deal. There's three weeks between now and Easter. And so could I just encourage you to do at least one fast from something in between now and Easter? One fast from something between now and Easter. Maybe it's a day of no food. Imagine a day of no cell phone. What if it's a day no email? I'm going to say it again. What if it's a day of no final four brackets? Maybe the rest of March Madness, no brackets. Whatever it is, one fast, at least one fast, one thing in the course of the next three weeks. Just start there. Maybe some of you, you're more experienced with fasting and maybe you're like, I'm going to do three, but great. Jesus says, now is the time for fasting. So let's take him up on his invitation. And so here's what I want you to do in this time right here, right now, is would you just map out a bit of a plan with him? Lord, I'm going to fast. I'm going to fast from this, fill in the blank. I'm going to fast for this long from that. Lord, here's why I'm going to fast. Maybe for you, it's all about the repentance thing. Like you've been way out in left field with God and you know it's time to come home. Jesus is wooing you, drawing you, inviting you. And you mean business about it this time. You're not ever going there again. And so you're, you're going to fast. Maybe you have this monumental decision and the decision is so monumental you don't even realize the ramifications of it. You just know it's big, giant. And it is looming in the windshield. How am I going to... What's the answer here, God? That's the focus of your fast. What if for you it's around the addiction piece? Where you've got this habit. You have this thing. And it has absolutely a spiritual root. It isn't just about the behavior that people see or don't see, whatever. It has a spiritual root. And so maybe you just say to God in this time, God, in this fast, for this long, these days, from this thing, I'm just going to ask you to really get down to the spiritual root of this and dig it out, pry it out, tear it out, whatever you got to do, God, uproot it. So there is no more root to it's gone. The goal of the fast for you might be freedom from that addiction, that behavior, that 
whatever it is. Here's my battle plan with God. At least one fast, at least one thing over the course of the next three weeks. More if you're so inclined. You'll be blessed. Jesus, we confess that our heads don't altogether get around the fasting thing. But because you call us to it, we're going to step in. And so will you give us courage and boldness, endurance to do just that. Lord, I pray for every person who is making a plan right now with you and cementing that with you. That there would be blessing. That there would be you speaking, showing up, stirring, healing, breaking chains of addiction. God, would you just move across our hearts, our lives, our church, our community, our valley. As we set some things down for the sake of focusing wholly, entirely, just on you, God. It's all you, only you. You're the one we worship and you're the one we yield to. God, you're the one who saved us through your son's death on the cross. And so we say thank you. And we pray all of this in the risen name of Jesus Christ. Death could not keep him. And everyone agreed and said, 